today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Through my years, even as a pastor, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I thought, well, 12,000, why 12,000? Maybe maybe that one was, you know, 11,985, but it's close enough to 12,000. But the more I look at this, and the more, the more I understand, man, it's just so specific, tribe after tribe after tribe. Instead of, hey, uh, they gave out of Judah 12,000, and out of Reuben thousands, and out of Gad thousands, and, you know, he, he pretty well specifies 12,000, and then he adds them all up to give us the fact that, no, it's 144,000. Why in the world would God do such a weird specific like that? Would you like to know that answer? Do you ever read through the Bible and wonder why the Lord is so specific about numbers and measurements? Pastor David is still not sure why, but we can make some guesses. Maybe God is so specific so that when biblical prophecy comes to pass, it lines up to the exact number or measurement stated. Thankfully, the Lord knows everything so that we don't have to. We may get to heaven to find out everything, or we may never know the reasons. We can just trust in Him and continue on our paths. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 7 with today's edition of The Open Word. Let's take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Revelation And we are in chapter 7 of Revelation, where there's going to be a whole lot of sealing and a whole lot of celebrating going on. Chapter 7, I'm going to throw out a little bit of uniqueness to you. Chapter 7 comes as a prelude to chapter 8. And I know that is very amazing, but but you got to remember, not everything in Revelation is chronological, okay? But we do know that chapter 7 happens just before. In fact, we were, we're ready to move into chapter 8, but the events that happen in the first couple of verses in chapter 7 say that, no, there's got to be this pause that takes place first. A little bit here, and I don't think that we've talked about it a whole lot, about the biblical numerology. I know that we've talked about the symbols, but one of the things that we see throughout Revelation, a lot of areas of prophecy, even actually throughout the whole word, we see a lot of things where numbers, numerology, kind of falls into play. It's kind of an interesting study, but I also know that you can get really overboard with that kind of thing. Number one speaks again of just the the oneness or the unity of God. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is 
one God. You can look at it that way. You can look at the division of two in a lot of ways. You see the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a lot of other little areas of two. But three is a really powerful number. We see that. It speaks of the trinity of the Lord, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, man, body, soul, and spirit. A lot of other things that you can see. I didn't write these down, so I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. But tonight we're going to be looking, where we've been looking at, again, the the seals around that scroll. And there are seven seals around that scroll. And seven is symbolic to completeness. The Lord built the earth in six days. On the seventh day, it was all complete, and the Lord rested. And we see that. We see that in the Word of God it says that man labored for six days and then rest on the seventh. Seventh, by and large, we see completeness. And so it's going to be here. There are only seven seals, and after these seven seals, or along with these seven seals, on that seventh one comes the seven trumpets also. So we'll be seeing that as we get in. I may draw your attention to different things as we go, but again, I don't want to get too caught up in numerology. Some people make a whole study of that and get really involved in it, but I think at that point in time, you start missing the focus of what the message is, and you start looking at the wrapping, okay? Somebody ever give you a gift, and you, you forget about opening it because you're so impressed with the wrapping. I just enjoy the wrapping. I just love the wrap. No, no, you got to get in, dig in, find out what the gift is. And so at the same time, we're looking at this. So the final seal is yet to be opened, the seventh seal on the scroll. But here we are in chapter 7. John writing says, after these things... Well, after which things? Well, they just went through very quickly these other six seals that we looked at last week as we looked at chapter 6. So as these things have been going, and then one just seems to be right after another, John writes here in chapter 7, After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Number four is the number of creation, the number of the earth. We see four points of the compass, uh, north, south, east and west, we often see this four corners of the earth. We're designated with four seasons, uh, spring, summer, fall, and then winter. There were four types of different materials that were used in building the tabernacle in Jesus' parable of the soils. Guess how many different soils he used? Four. So we see these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. We see this idea of these four uh, throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 11, 12, uh, we read that God will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 49, says, Against Elam I will bring the four winds... From the four quarters of heaven. 
and scatter them toward all those winds. And there shall be no nation where the outcast of Elam will not go. Again, these four winds, four quarters of the heavens. In Matthew 24, Jesus says that he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, don't get too weirded out by this idea of the four corners and say, well, see, the Bible's all messed up because there are not four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, the four main points. And that's the idea, that's the understanding from all areas, from the extremities of everything. So here in Revelation 7, we have the four angels who stood on the four corners of the earth. It was symbolic of the fact that they were over all of the earth and that all of the earth was going to be affected by whatever these angels were going to do. And it says right now that they're holding the four winds, that the wind shouldn't blow on the earth or in the sea or on any tree. You think about withholding the wind, it might not seem too bad of a deal, especially uh, in March where the wind's just like blowing all the time or in other areas. The fact is, is we need the wind. We have to have the wind in all of our climate for all of its natural courses. The wind brings us the weather patterns that we enjoy. Basically, wind is caused by the differences in atmospheric pressure, the heat of the sun, the cool of the evening, the spinning of the earth. All of those things come in making the wind. Without the winds, in essence, us here would heat up to absolutely unbearableness. And in the colder areas, they would chill down to unbearableness, greater than normal. Without the winds... The rains wouldn't happen. Evaporation would happen over the areas of water, but then it wouldn't carry the, the clouds into the land. So the sea would keep getting the rain and we'd keep getting hot. So all of that is there. We, we'd be subject to excessive heat and extreme cold. Crops wouldn't be able to survive anything. On the other hand, though they are holding it right now, that it shouldn't blow on the earth or on the sea and the land, uh, we're going to find out a little bit later when we open that seventh seal and the trumpets start coming from that seventh seal that I believe, again, that the natural disasters, some of those are going to be because, I believe, the loosening of that wind and the destruction that's going to happen. So we see a little bit on all of that, and that's going to happen in chapter 8. So these four angels holding the winds, the four winds of the earth, and it shouldn't blow on the earth, the sea, or the tree. And then in verse 2, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea. See, those four angels, they're going to harm the earth and the sea saying, do not harm the earth and the sea and the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. This other angel, this next angel comes from above. He comes from the east. Again, this idea, it speaks of not only his authority coming from the throne room of God, but one of the other things, um, speaking of the east, symbolically looking toward the east is symbolic of hope for us. Because, again, we, we speak of the, the eastern sky. Our Lord is coming in the eastern sky, this idea, this kind of a thought. Again, as far as symbols go, the east, the sunrise, symbolically speaking of life, health, 
uh, new day, new opportunities, these kinds of things. So this angel comes in and says, stop, don't do what you're prepared to do. Apparently, the judgment was already a, a given reality. The judgment was going to come. The damage was going to come. However, there was something else that had to be completed first. He says we need to seal them on their foreheads. They need to be sealed by God. Again, there's no doubt. Withholding the wind was going to be destructive on the earth. However, they needed to seal these individuals before any of that was going to take place. Those that were going to be sealed were identified as what? The servants of our God. Not as saints. A little bit different look and thought here. It says the servants of our God. And they're going to be identified by the seal on their forehead. What kind of a seal? We really don't know at this time, but we do know that they're definitely going to be sealed. And the sealing is going to be twofold, I believe, for them. Number one, as an identity. They're going to have the mark of God on them. But it's also the sealing for a preservation, that kind of a sealing that's going to take place in their life. So identity as well as preservation. And some have said that this is all the ones who are going to be sealed here, and we'll look at that in a moment, the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They say, well, really that sealing is symbolic of the church and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit that we read in the New Testament. They say that God is pretty well finished with Israel and the church has now taken her place as a recipient of God's blessings. But I don't see that at all. There's all kinds of problems with that kind of a concept, saying that God's finished with Israel. Number one, you pretty well got to throw out Romans chapter 9, where Paul himself says, no, God's not finished with Israel. They're blinded only for a season, for the time of the Gentiles. And again, a lot of other things that are going on. We see God still working, and we see very distinctly here, God's not just sealing certain people, a certain amount of people. No, he's very precise in who he is sealing. Again, a direct identity. He says in verse 4, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel were sealed. Very clear statement. There's going to be a total of 144,000 sealed, and they're going to come the 12 tribes of Israel. John Wolverd writes this. He says the fact that specific tribes were mentioned and specific numbers for these tribes, each one were indicated, that would seem to remove this from the symbolic and to justify a very literal translation or interpretation. If God intended these verses to represent Israel literally, he would have used this very means the names of the tribes, the amount of numbers. Nowhere else in the Bible do a dozen different references to the 12 tribes of Israel mean the church. Not at all. He says, obviously, Israel will be in the tribulation. And though men do not know the identification of each of the tribes today, certainly God knows. We look at Israel right now. Do you think that Israel is in a little bit of tribulation right now? It's going crazy over there. Absolutely insane. I love what some of the leadership in Israel is saying. You know what? If Mexico started lobbing, you know, rockets into Texas or into Southern California, 
the United States would be on top of that in a heartbeat. And yet the world, the liberal portion of the world, is saying, hey, Israel, why are you so aggressive? You just need to be kind to Hamas. I, I don't know if you've seen the reports, but I've been impressed by the secular news reports in many ways. I believe that it was CBS that brought out the fact that, hey, you know, they tried to have a ceasefire, but Hamas broke the ceasefire within just a couple of hours. And CBS was talking about, hey, they've come in, they brought supplies and medical supplies, all kinds of things, into Gaza. In other words, Israel has brought that while they're still getting shelled from it. So I think the world, I don't know for sure, and I'm not a prophet nor the son of the prophet, and so bear with me, I think maybe the world is starting to wake up a little little bit, as far as at least what's going on right now. I don't think that's going to be the whole deal, but I think that in the aggressiveness of Hamas on this thing of just continually bombarding Israel, it's going to be seen for who they are, and hopefully Israel will be able to take care of this in a moment. Now, that's a little tribulation. That's not the great tribulation. God's not finished with Israel yet. But yet at the same time, the only way that Israel is going to be saved is the same way that you and I are saved, by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this ceiling on the foreheads, we don't understand how, when, what the structure is, why the numbers are. We just go with, okay, as we're looking through Revelation, God is going to take this 144,000. We're going to read a little bit more about them a little bit later in Revelation. It's going to speak again about what's going on with them and, again, their relationship. But for right now, we look, we have of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, guess how many were sealed? 12,000. Okay. Uh, of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 we're sealed. Now, we look at this, and the first thing we'll notice is Judah. Was he the oldest son? No, he wasn't. Reuben was the oldest son. I wonder why they list Judah first in this. The rest of them are pretty much in order. I wonder because the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. David came from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. There's another little thing here. Dan is not listed. The tribe of Dan. And instead of Dan... They have uh, Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the two sons of Joseph. And they list Joseph, but also one of his sons. They don't list anybody else's sons, but they do take away Dan. Some have said, well, well, that's because Dan was guilty more so than any of the other tribes of continued idolatry. And so, again, the curse against him was that, you know, he was going to lose his standing. Some have even speculated that Antichrist may come out of the tribe of Dan, since they were so filled with this whole idea of idolatry. We don't know for certain. There's a lot of stuff as we start looking through both Old Testament and New Testament that speaks about that the Antichrist will have some Jewish uh, background to him. The one thing we do know 
is out of each of these tribes, there's 12,000 for a total of 144,000. Do you think that 12,000 is just a ballpark number, or do you think it's specific? I believe that it's specific. Through my years, even as a pastor, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I thought, well, 12,000, why 12,000? Maybe, maybe that one was, you know, 11,985, but it's close enough to 12,000. But the more I look at this, and the more, the more I understand that, it's just so specific, tribe after tribe after tribe. Instead of, hey, uh, they gave out of Judah 12,000, and out of Reuben thousands, and out of Gad thousands, and, you know, he, he pretty well specifies 12,000, and then he adds them all up to give us the fact that, no, it's 144,000. Why in the world would God do such a weird specific like that? Would you like to know that answer? When you find it, let me know, and uh, we'll go from there. I don't think it's any more than just the specific purposes and plans of God. That this is a God thing, and, and he's doing something that you and I you know, wouldn't figure or even be able to do. It's interesting, the false teachings of the Jehovah's Witness. They really go big with this 144,000. For them, pretty much, it's the limit of the ones who will actually reign with Christ and spend uh, eternity with God, 144,000 in heavens. Everybody else is going to be here on earth. And again, the problem is not only is that wrong, but there's no way that we really see that kind of an impact with this 144,000. There's nothing that even leads directly to that. We just don't see it in Scripture. So again, it's just one of these things. It's just kind of pulled over in chapter 14. It talks about them being with Jesus, but that's not the reigning and ruling. As a matter of fact, it speaks that the saints will reign and rule. That's what we read in the Bible. Bible, not these 144,000. Well, after the sealing had taken place, the second part of this whole vision comes into play, and that's found down in verse 9. John says, and after these things, so he starts verse 1 with after these things, there's the situation, the four angels holding the winds. The other angel, no, wait, we've got to seal them. They go through, they seal the 144. How long does it take to seal 144,000? I don't know. But again, remember, this is a vision that John is uh, taking. Good, God have done it, bam, like that. Absolutely, with not a problem. But it's after that. There's some time frame going on there. After these things, verse 9 says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. John saw a crowd of people so big that you couldn't even number them. You know, on Washington, D.C., they've had these, quote-unquote, million man or million people marches on there, and sometimes it's like 700,000. They say, well, that's pretty close, and all these kinds of guesstimates. How many could that be? I believe there's more than a million. I believe that you, you look at something like that, it's just such a vast, vast array. The thing that I love about it, too, and we spoke about this, I think, a little bit over the last couple of weeks, it is from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, 
every people group that there is. And again, speaking of the width of God's redemptive plan. And some would say, no, it's a very narrow plan and that there's only an elect few. No, I believe that God's redemptive plan is very wide. Not everybody takes advantage of it, unfortunately. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.